This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. So that's kind of the thing, right? When you're a you know, mega prospect who looks like he's going to be a future star and there's a chance to go the Chris Bryan route and save some money on the front end and you know, keep this guy under control for at least one more year, that's probably the standard for the industry. I really want for Christmas the ability to use any song I want on this podcast. We're going to do service time today, service time manipulation. So naturally, I've had the Stones time is on my side in my head all day, and now you will too. You're welcome. Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Evan Drellick, senior writer for the Athletic. Before we get to our latest round table, I'm sure you're wondering, hey, what's going on with the old lockout? What I'm told is that most likely there will not be core economic bargaining sessions this month. They're going to talk some non-core economics. Remember, there's about 30 subjects, I think more than that, in collective bargaining that these sides have to discuss. Not all of them are as contentious or as sexy as things like you know, when a guy gets to free agency and the big ticket issues. So they can start talking about some of those other, we could even call them ancillary topics, now, but the big stuff, the media stuff, is probably going to wait until next month. My guess is, this is just a guess, that if they get a deal done ahead of spring training, it's not going to be much ahead of spring training. And it's a big if at this point, whether or not they do get a deal done to be able to start spring training on time. The reason I think this is the calendar does dictate a lot. Your leverage, the importance of getting things done, it all comes to a head when you have something on the line. And the closer we get to spring training, the more pressure is going to be on both sides. So some of these shows we've done have been built around specific topics, and that's what we're going to do again today with service time. I know it sounds boring, but hear me out here, okay? This typically comes up when top prospects are promoted. So really the best players in the game is when this this is something that you're going to hear about. And it's a question of how long does a team wait to bring a guy up? And sometimes they do wait because they want to delay a guy's clock. There's a risk, though, when you do that. You're not only aggravating the player and the player's agent, the player's family, you're also potentially losing a couple weeks of play from an impact player. You know, if you're in a pennant race, it's not always negligible. You wait 15 days to bring a guy up and then you miss the playoffs by a game. Yeah, a little egg on your face there. So let me try to quickly lay out for you how this works. I think everybody knows there's 162 games in a Major League Baseball season. For service time counting purposes, there's actually 186 days in the season. So that's including the games plus the off days. That's the length of the season from an official counting standpoint, 186. To get a full year of service time, you have to have at least 172 days in the Major Leagues. So... What's 186 minus 172? It's 14 days. It's two weeks. If you wait two weeks, you wait 15 days to bring up a player. So it's mid-April instead of opening day on April 1st. That player now does not get a full year of service time for that season. No matter what happens, you bring up a guy on April 16th, 17th, you've guaranteed that he cannot become a free agent until a year later compared to what would have been the case had you brought him up on April 1st. Teams know this. And so if you have a GM 
who's being cost-minded, and today they all are, they're going to lean in this direction. They're going to look at a guy and go, you know what? I don't want him to get to free agency a year sooner. I don't want him to get to arbitration where he starts to get expensive a year earlier. I'm going to just hold him down for the first two weeks of the season. Even in some cases where a guy is very obviously ready to be on a big league team, somebody who's been talked up and hyped for a very long time. Probably the most famous example of this is Chris Bryant of the Cubs. And that ended up producing a grievance. We're going to get into that a little bit more in the roundtable coming up. I covered the Houston Astros starting in the 2013 to 2014 offseason. This is another example of it. They had a guy you've probably heard of named George Springer, who had an unbelievable year in the minors in 2013. He almost had a 40-40 season. He also wasn't that young. And the Astros of 2013 were an abysmal team. They lost 111 games. It was their third year in a row losing 100 games. If you were the Astros, had many players in the majors who were less talented than George Springer. Like he would have made an immediate impact. He would have been something for fans to enjoy. But the Astros kept him down. There were some questions about, well, does he strike out too much? Then, of course, 2014 comes around. They wait a little bit more than two weeks. Mid-April, he gets called up, and voila, his free agency is pushed back an extra year. Not all teams have acted kind of suspiciously or dubiously. The Padres brought up Fernando Tatis right away. The Mets did it, too, with Pete Alonso. And what happens in these situations is teams will say, well, we got baseball reasons for not bringing him up. Like with Springer, and they're not always illegitimate. There was concern about the swing and miss. But you also had a team in Seattle, the Mariners, that was quite public with how they felt about service time. This is their CEO, Kevin Mather, talking. The risk was if our major league team had had a COVID outbreak or you know, injuries and we had to call people up from the taxi squad, we were a little short on players because there was no chance you were going to see these young players at T-Mobile Park. We weren't going to put them on the 40-man roster. We weren't going to start the service time clock. There were all kinds of reasons that if we would have had an injury uh, problem or a COVID outbreak, you might have seen my big tummy out there in left field. You would not have seen our young players, our prospects, playing at T-Mobile Park. Yeah, you don't usually hear executives talking that bluntly, and it led to Mathers firing. Players want to fix this. They want to get to a place where, theoretically, ideally, you have the best players on the field, and that's that. And you're not playing games with service time and you know, guys, if they deserve to be a free agent a year sooner, that they can get there. So this is a topic during bargaining right now. It is a hard problem to fix because if you stay in a system where you're counting days, there's always going to be room for manipulation. You can never make it perfect if you're counting days. If you got rid of the day counting and went to an age-based free agency, so you said at 29 or 30 or 30 and a half, you become a free agent. Well, then it doesn't really matter how many days you have in the big leagues. It just depends how old you are, and, and so it becomes a little bit more of a pure system. MLB actually proposed an age-based system. The problem is they proposed a bunch of other stuff with it that would have been very bad for the players in free agency, and the players realized that. The players also proposed an age-based system, but it was kind of a combo where right now you need six years to get to free agency. The players said, we'll keep it six years, but for guys of a certain age, so if you're 29 and a half or 30 and a half, you can get to free agency after five years. So that was one way the players wanted to go after it. The other thing, this might be the more interesting part, the players wanted was if 
you say get brought up, you know, after April, you're not getting to 172 days. So you're not going to get that full year of service, but you win, say the rookie of the year, or you perform in the top X of wins above replacement war for players at your position or rookies. I'm not sure what the exact calculation is, but it's something war based. Then you could get additional service time. So basically, if, if you get brought up late, they were trying to manipulate you and you still do really well, like such that you pretty clearly deserve the year of service, then you get the year of service. Voila, the league hasn't gone for that. So that's where we are. We've got different ideas going back and forth about how to address this. We'll see if it actually does end up getting addressed in the CBA. And for more on service time and some of the examples we've seen with it, here's our roundtable. All right, welcome to our service time roundtable. We'll do a quick hello. We've got three of the Athletics' finest beat writers, Patrick Mooney, who covers the Cubs. How are you doing, Patrick? Good to see you guys. Dennis Lynn covers the Padres, waking up early on the West Coast. What's going on, Dennis? Doing well. Uh, Yeah, it's 10 a.m. here, so I am very drowsy. (laughs) Excellent. That's great for audio. And Corey Brock, who covers the Mariners. What's up, Corey? Well, I have kids, so I've been up for about eight hours already, so uh, not a big deal here, but uh, happy holidays, everyone. You too. All right, so we're going to give a little background for people, including me, who didn't want to go through every single one of these players again ahead of time, so we can rely on, on you guys' expertise. Patrick, remind us of the Chris Bryant situation. He came up in 2015. We know he was a very good player, but what was going on with Bryant at that time? Well, you'd have to go back a couple labor deals ago when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer took over the Cubs baseball operations department. They get there. And maybe the most optimistic projections from ownership and the business side aren't quite there. Maybe their first impression was a little off. And then this new CBA comes in and just hammers them in terms of what they want to do. And they wanted to spend big in the draft. They wanted to spend big on the international market. They wanted to work uh, the free agent draft pick compensation system. So that changes everything. And they embark on this, what was a really extreme idea at the time, a big market team just saying, we're going to like openly saying, we're going to pause for a couple of years. You know, obviously other teams had gone through rebuilds, but a team like the Cubs who had lost for a really long time, not always on purpose. They were always trying to at least put out a good product up there. They just kind of said, we're going to go in full retreat, take a long-term view of this. And you know that leads them to Chris Bryant. And they spend parts of 2013, 2014, and 2015 saying how great Chris Bryant is. You know, he was essentially drafted to be this franchise savior. And it wasn't just his skills, it was his makeup and his ability to handle this pressure of being the guy in Chicago. And so Chris Bryant actually turns out to be better than the hype. Let's see, wins college baseball's Heisman Trophy, consensus minor league player of the year, Arizona Fall League MVP. And by the time he reports to spring training in 2015, he just kills it in the Cactus League. He hits like nine home runs. And this becomes kind of a breakthrough story, like the type of story that SportsCenter is running in the middle of March. And you have Scott Boris firing shots at the Cubs. And you have Theo Epstein, a probable Hall of Famer. You're kind of being in this awkward position of after saying how great Chris Bryan is for years, when it comes down to it, they're certainly looking for any way to keep him off their opening day roster. And I think you know, at this point, the Cubs have just hired Joe Madden. They've signed John Lester to the biggest contract in franchise history at that time. And you have this focus on a guy who's had zero major league at-bats ever. Like, he is the the prospect among 
a group that's rated the number one farm system by Baseball America. And it really sets up this service time showdown that I think opened a lot of people's eyes and really set the stage for some of the labor battles to come. Yeah, and he was brought up one day after which, if he had been brought up a day earlier, he would have become a free agent a year earlier. And there was a grievance filed in that. We'll talk about that a little later. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Corey has a more recent story. It's a little bit different story with an outfield prospect named Jared Kelenic, who I don't know, are Mets fans still comfortable hearing that name? That's for another day. But let's tee this up with some sound from a Mariners official. On the minor league side, Jared Kelenic, we've been talking about him for a year and a half now. He will be in left field in April. He's a 21-year-old player who um, uh, is quite confident. We offered him a long-term deal, six-year deal for substantial money with options to go farther. And um, after pondering it for several days and talking to the union, he has turned us down. And in his words, uh, he's going to bet on himself. He thinks after six years, he's going to be such a star player that the seventh, eighth, ninth year options will be undervalued. He might be right. He might be right. We offered uh, and he turned us down. So that was the voice of Kevin Mather, who was the CEO of the Mariners, and he was talking to a local Rotary Club, and that comment, amongst others that he made, landed in enough hot water that uh, he was dismissed. But Corey can better explain what happened with Kellenick and maybe a little bit of how those Mather comments played in. Yeah, I guess if nothing else, Evan, make sure that recording light uh, up in the corner isn't flashing when you're talking to a local Rotary Club, right? Yeah, this is about a year ago. A little less than a year ago, where Kevin Mather, now former uh, president and CEO of the Mariners, uh, spoke to a rotary group in Bellevue and uh, made some kind of tone deaf and insensitive comments, called a player boring, called another player overpaid, uh, cited uh, the poor English skills of their top prospect, Julio Rodriguez. But the, the comment he made that raised the most ire was, talking about Jared Kelnick and potentially, you know, service time manipulation issues. And even though he didn't come out and quite say it, reading between the lines and he came close enough to it saying that, hey, there's no way this guy was going to be in the big leagues in 2020. We'll see him sometime in April, you know, presumably after the point passed where 
they could acquire another year of his services without him reaching free agency. So that caused a lot of problems here. And not just locally, but I think the players across baseball, Players Association, took notice of this. There were players on other teams that were tweeting, thank you, Kevin Mather, for finally saying what we've all realized has been going on for so long. What do we call it? Baseball's dirty little secret, right? So yeah, an unfortunate situation. It kind of cast a dark shadow over the Mariners for some time here. But I think maybe at some point, baseball fans may be glad that this was finally brought out in the open by someone in a front office, especially if it leads to, and I'm sure we'll get into this, Evan, this leads to some sort of more fair resolution in terms of uh, on the player's side, the things that they are looking at. um, Boy, reaching free agency is a wonderful thing. Uh, Doing it when you're almost 30 years old with service time declining year by year is not a great thing. So yeah, the Kelna thing was interesting, especially when his agent said that there was a promise made by the Mariners that that if he accepted that contract that Kevin Mather mentioned in the clip, that he would have been in the big leagues. The Mariners, of course, denied this. I think all parties have now moved on. But whether this affects Kelnick down the road, you know, he reaches his point of making some real money if he looks at the Mariners in an unfavorable light. You know, I don't know. I mean, that's what, six years from now. I don't even know what I'm having for lunch today. So I don't, you know, I don't know how big a deal this is going to be. And sort of like what Patrick said, the Bryant thing, I think, opened up a lot of eyes of casual fans who had no idea this was going on. And so I think cases like Kelnick uh, sort of further advances that narrative a little bit that, yeah, this is something that happens. Yeah. The other case that I saw up close was George Springer with the Astros, and that was in 2014. And that was a situation where, as I understand and through my reporting, it did affect how we looked at the organization, where they did hold him down until a little more than two weeks into the season. But Mather, to me, I think you put it similarly. It's a quiet part out loud. It's saying what everybody knows is going on. Finally, you get to hear it. But we actually have an example of a team that didn't do the bad thing. Somebody was actually kind of nice and and kind or or benevolent or something like that. Dennis, what happened with Fernando Tatis in 2019, I believe? Yeah, it's funny just to fast forward a little bit based off what you and Corey just said, but drawing a line to Kevin Mather, I think the same day he resigned in the wake of the firestorm over his comments coming out publicly, the Padres signed Tatis to the historic 14-year, $340 million extension. And the Padres and the Mariners, by the way, share a complex in uh, Arizona at spring training, which is where the press conference took place. So just kind of funny, not a parallel, but I guess a contrast there. But uh, going back two years to 2019, when they decided to put him on the opening day roster, I think that came as a surprise to pretty much everyone outside the Padres. It came as a surprise to Fernando Tatis and his father. Uh, they thought for sure he was going to go to AAA. He had recently turned 20 years old. So that's kind of the thing, right? When you're a you know mega prospect who's looks like he's going to be a future star and there's a chance to go the Chris Bryant route and save some money on the front end and, you know, keep this guy under control for at least one more year. That's probably the standard for the industry. But Padres and AJ Preller has always been opportunistic and aggressive and just some would say he doesn't have the greatest mind for keeping a budget or sticking to a budget. He uh, decided to do what I think um, a lot of people would agree was probably the, the right thing for the player, the right thing for the game in the interest of advancing the game. And he decided to put him on the opening day roster. But the other uh, element I think here is the control owner at the time of the Padres was Ron Fowler, who had in 2016 end of 2016 led the negotiations for the owners in the CBA negotiating that he's still on the labor policy committee right now working on the uh, next CBA whenever that happens but talked to him after this decision after opening day he said uh, they had talked 
kind of sort of at a 30,000 foot view for the last few months, he and AJ Preller about just the potential for change for the next CBA. Who knows what's going to happen with six years before free agency, three years of arbitration, all that. So given that the landscape was possibly going to change a couple years from you know, then in 2019, they were of the mind that if there's going to be change and we think this guy's ready for the majors, which they did, why not give him the chance and, you know, take our chances with an extension in the future, possibly taking a shot at that. So obviously, you know, two years after that, they didn't have an extension lined up at that time. But two years later, you can argue whether your decision maybe uh, fostered some goodwill from the Tati side of the equation, but they, uh, they got an extension done. And I think in the end, it's kind of silly to think back on yeah this guy's missed a lot of time in his major league career and they possibly gave up some money on the front end but at the same time uh, you know he's possibly the face of the game of baseball right now and uh, I think the decision to put him on the opening roster and kind of shock baseball has paid dividends for the Padres that was going to be the follow-up is in the end was it worth it or do the Padres look back at it and go well we would have signed him to the extension anyway we didn't need to do this or is it clearly something where you can say they were rewarded for doing let's call it the honorable thing. From a strict, I guess, business standpoint, again, looking at how many games he's played in his first three seasons. Uh, yeah, 2020 was different. He played pretty much the whole full season there. Uh, I think 59 games, but he's missed a lot of time. First season with some injuries, and obviously everyone knows about the uh, the shoulder dislocations that he uh, he's dealt with, you know, more recently, and that's cost him quite a bit of time. So he's already had, you know, three full years of service time, and you look at how many games he's played and the uh, the injury concerns going forward, he's, you know, opted to forego shoulder surgery for now. So there's always that risk of going forward if he gets hurt and uh, dislocates that shoulder again, uh, possibly he misses a big chunk of time. So just from a business standpoint, three full years of service for however many games he's played doesn't seem like a great trade-off. But at the same time, I think if you look at the structure of the contract, the years they bought out of free agency, they bought out 10 years of free agency, uh, longest contract in baseball history, by the way. It's pretty much, I think, 10 years for a little over 300, those final 10. So if you were looking at him getting to free agency at the age of 25, 26, which he would have been, if not for this extension, um, I think that's pretty uh, pretty good deal. I mean, getting the basically the Manny Machado contract contract that the Padres gave Machado and this guy's a shortstop and again possibly the most marketable player in the game I think if you look back and if they had waited a few weeks in the end that's maybe I haven't done the exact math but I'm just guessing maybe a 10 million dollar difference of money they would have saved in the end and that's a pretty small fraction compared to 306 million or, or 300 40 million in this case. So I think in the end it's a pretty negligible difference and the Padres uh, ended up on the right side of the equation. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. It is quite a world where, where we can sit around and go, $10 million is negligible, means nothing. So there wasn't as happy an ending from a, I guess, player perspective in Chicago. Chris Bryant filed a grievance, and Patrick, I know you were covering that at the time, and it was only last year? It's all blending in post-pandemic, but it was only last year, I think, that that thing got resolved. And it's kind of a landmark case that you actually had a player in the union challenge a league and a team on this front and say, no, 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 this is no good. You can't do this. What happened with that grievance? I think it's fascinating to look at you know some of the characters involved here. And I guess to preface everything, like there was more than a great ending in Chicago that Chris Bryant, rookie of the year, 2015, MVP of the Cubs team that breaks the 100 year championship drought. And that made him the perfect case for this grievance. It was filed. And then it was in this, as you know, Evan, this kind of like limbo period for years where it did not proceed in front of an arbitrator until I believe after the 2019 season. And so from a Cubs perspective, I thought it was interesting at the time that if you looked at fan sentiment overall, I mean, and Twitter's not the greatest judge for this, but I Isn't feel it like... though? Isn't it? Go on. Sorry. We can... Well, <laughs> I think it's interesting that a lot of fans were like in favor of management on this. I mean, management has done a great job of kind of maybe not brainwashing fans, but making them like see the big picture in the longer term, like almost all the time. And so the Cubs were not feeling a ton of heat on this. Bryant as a you know, great kind of charismatic personality. He had an endorsement deal with Adidas. They put a worth the weight billboard up right by the Wrigley Field marquee. He's down at AAA Iowa for maybe like a little over a week, 10 days. And on one of the off days, he films a Red Bull commercial called Down on the Farm with like a goat, an animal that has a lot of a symbolic place in Cubs lore. And so Cubs uh, opening day third baseman, Mike Oltz gets injured. That's why he comes up. The Cubs had their talking points in terms of how they ran things in Boston, you know, saying that we never had a guy you know, make his big league debut under those circumstances. Opening day, we were always patient. Bryant side countered saying, you never had a player like Bryant, that you were always drafting near the bottom of the first round, and that what Chris Bryant did was historic. You know, There's only a couple other players who have won Rookie of the Year and MVP within their first two seasons, coming off everything he did as an amateur player, as a minor league player. And so I don't think this necessarily poisoned their relationship with Chris. I think Chris has always understood the business 
side of the game, Cubs officials felt like whatever goodwill they would have generated would not have lasted all that long, that Scott Boris, as one of the top agents, is always going to push for his clients, that they felt that was not a compelling reason to bring him up. And, you know, I think kind of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but, you know, the Cubs did all this maneuvering and then spent his... Bryant's final years in a Cubs uniform, like trying to trade him. And it left this sense of both sides have been a spectacular partnership, but it had kind of run its course by the time of the trade deadline last season. Yeah, in my understanding of the actual ruling in that case, so they rule in favor of the Cubs. The Cubs, I believe, were arguing Basically, service time manipulation can't exist, that it's always a club's decision, and that's what the rules empower. My understanding is the arbitrator did not accept that argument. The arbitrator ruled in in favor of the Cubs for the reason that they believed Bryant and the union hadn't sufficiently proven that there was actual manipulation. But it preserved, again, as I understand it, going forward in the future, the possibility that if somebody did have such great evidence that there was service time manipulation, you could still win a grievance if you're the union. The problem is you're not going to get a better case than Bryant, unless I guess you had someone like Mather and you had a really direct example, you know, somebody going public with all those things. So this is for all of you. I guess we can start with Corey. Are teams too concerned with six years away? What's the effect of this on the fans, the asset management side of the sport, the 10,000 foot takeaway from all of this? Well, you know, I think fans will always side with the players. And I think every case in every city is a little different. In Seattle, they haven't been to the postseason since 2001. So I think this is yet an opportunity for fans to, you know, just continue to feel bad about where the Mariners are and sort of their lot in life. But you know, as, as far as teams, I think teams will continue to look at this as a uh, purely a business decision until something dramatically changes. And I just don't know if we're at that doorstep. I don't know, as I mentioned before, if Mather's comments will bring about any kind of uh, discussion on this. I, I mean, I have to think, Evan, you know, we would know better than I would that during these meetings between baseball and the Players Association, Kevin Mather's name is being brought up. Because, again, this is giving the players a little bit more stronger leg to stand on. I just don't know, ultimately, if it moves the needle or not. But, yeah, fans were really put off here in Seattle when this came about. But it was more or less like same old Mariners. Same old Mariners being cheap. They always trade their good players away. There's a lot of negative narratives here. And this just added another one to a long list. A list that can only be vanquished by winning. And by making the postseason and making all of this go away. And maybe uh, this was sort of the case with the Cubs a little bit when they won that World Series that, oh, yeah, okay, this uh, this Bryant service time thing, whatever. We got our World Series finally. Let's move on. Yeah, maybe and Patrick can speak to that. You know, there are cases like I covered Jackie Bradley Jr.'s debut with the Red Sox in 2013. And if you go back and look at clips from that year, there was the same discussion. Are they going to put him on the roster? And they did put him on the roster. And then he wasn't that good. And they sent him down. And then at the end of the day, nobody really cared about it. But that doesn't mean that that one necessarily shouldn't care about it at all, just because there are examples of situations where you look back and go, oh, well, that didn't matter. Patrick, how do you break it down? I think up until that Bryant case, I think the general feeling among baseball, that's just the way it is. You know, like the teams always have a pretext or a cover for doing this. And then a player like Bryant arrives on such a fast track and it forces you to kind of readjust. And, and I think that happened with, you know, Evan, you covered the sign stealing scandal in Houston. Like, oh, that's just baseball. People cheat all the time. And then all of a sudden it gets to a point where people are like, wait, what? And there were you know, severe consequences of that. Or 
you know, minor league housing, what the advocates have done for that. You know, too bad, you don't like it, play better. And then all of a sudden you see stuff on social media, like, wait, this is how it actually is for guys, you know, kind of trying to make it in, in the minors. And I think Bryant knew this was a long shot case. I don't think he gave too much thought to it. He's become, I'd say, a little bit less engaged with the union as he's gotten married and had a kid and started to raise a family that he kind of left that to some of the younger guys. But he thought it was important to highlight this and have this hearing. And even though they knew it was a long shot at best that just for the record, they wanted that. They wanted the Cubs to have to go to New York or wherever to a conference room and have to defend what they did. You know, the problem can't be, this is kind of an interesting part. You can't eliminate service time manipulation in a system where you're counting days. That's my understanding from multiple people who have very direct knowledge of this, uh, that there isn't actually a perfect solution. You can do things on the margins and kind of find ways to get guys more service time, or you go to that age-based system where, where guys can become a free agent you know, at a certain age. But we know there's all sorts of issues in baseball. And I guess, Dennis, as you look at service time, do you think it's something that should be at the top of everyone's list to be fixed so that you don't have the will-they-won't-they they with the Tatis again in the future? Or do you look at it and go, well, you know, if they fix it, great. If, if not, whatever. I think I kind of lean toward the, the latter system scenario you just mentioned, I think it's easy to look at what's happened in San Diego with Tatis. It was not only Tatis that year in 2019, but Chris Paddock on the opening day roster. Now, I know he's older, but you know he ended up contending for the rookie of the year. You put Francisco Mejia, catching prospect, on the opening day roster. And you look at uh, what it got them. Obviously, 2019 was not a good year for the Potters in the end. Um, you know They had all the excitement going in of signing Manny Machado that spring. And then on top of that, putting Tatis and Paddock on the roster on opening day. That I think engendered a lot of goodwill with the fans in San Diego. But looking back on it, I know I you know, spoke about this earlier that in the end, I think the Padres made the good decision for not only Tatis, but you know, good for the game. I think fans would have understood if Tatis had been down for two weeks in AAA and they brought him up as a 20-year-old again. And if you look at where they are now with their payroll, they finished above the luxury tax, which I know people like Corey who have also covered the Padres is pretty unthinkable that the Padres would, you know, carry a payroll that high. And if they had not extended Tatis as soon as they did, they would have been under the luxury tax. And I know it's kind of a thing where fans say, it's not my money, it's the owner's money, and why do we care? But I mean, this is just how teams operate. The Pirates are going to have to deal with this kind of thing going forward. And you can argue whether they managed properly or mismanaged kind of the uh, commitments that they made over the past few years. But I think the, the Padres have seen some of the products of what they've done is, you know, really good attendance this past season, even with some of the COVID restrictions that California had. I think they were top three in attendance and the sponsorships going up and Tatis kind of being, again, the face of the game. Uh, but I think it's a pretty unique situation in San Diego with uh, some certain market limitations that are always going to hold San Diego back. So we'll see. I think in the next couple of years, if they're able to sustain this level of spending, but at the same time, just kind of a different market from everything else. So I think at the end, it's just based on each market and each uh, each ownership group. And, you know, uh, something I think is funny and I meant to bring up earlier, guys, was uh, the Kelnick case and certainly the long list of, uh, I won't say hatred, but the angst, I guess, surrounding the Mariners and coming out of spring training. Of course, Kelnick didn't make the big league roster, but I think what what happened moving forward, and, you know, fans were upset about that as well. They were just so upset. They wanted to be upset, I think. And 
certainly that's their prerogative, right? But, you know, Kelnick started out in AAA. When he came up to the big leagues in May, he hit 0.96 and was hitless in his last, uh, what was it, 39 at-bats. And then I think at that point, the public sentiment sort of changed a little bit like, oh, maybe he's not ready. Maybe this isn't a, a financial decision here or, well, you know, whether it was or wasn't, at the end of the day, he wasn't ready. And when he came back later in the season, he was a better player. He was a better player because of his struggles. And I know this is straying from the point a little bit, but you know, I'm just speaking in terms of how this is viewed and how the narrative can switch and how public sentiment can move from one side to the other pretty quickly here. It's kind of funny. It's sort of entertaining to watch. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, from a 30,000 foot perspective, you know, I don't know how we fix this thing, but certainly there is becoming more mounting evidence on, you know, each side now. And I think that the public is far more aware of these issues now. And I think, you know, generally fans want to side with the players, you know, they do, you know, and they want their best players to stick around as long as possible. And, you know, they'll always be that sentiment. I'll finish with how, you know, the service time manipulation, what it undermines the competitive uh, integrity of the game. I don't think there's any disputing that. So how do we fix it? I don't know. Leave it to Patrick to bring us home who covered the guy who filed the grievance, you know, who wasn't the bust. How much of a priority do you think this should be? I think there has to be a holistic view of this. It's not good when your best players aren't on the field. I mean, availability is a skill. And I think that if you look at other sports, the idea would be absurd. If you have you know one of your best players, well, let's just keep him on the sidelines until we reach this kind of arcane benchmark so that we can delay his free agency for another year. And again, kind of ironic, like if you look at Chris Bryant's sixth season in the big league, it was really bad. It was granted under the pandemic. He was injured. He couldn't get into a rhythm, but like where did it leave the Cubs? I mean, they alienated on one hand, you know, they're one of their best homegrown players ever, but at the same time they won world series. I mean, Chris Bryant was part of the greatest run in Cubs history going to playoffs five out of six years. Chris Bryant has never finished on a team with a losing record. I'd imagine on the other side of the lockout, him and Scott Boris will be fielding a tremendous amount of interest, just maybe not what we would have thought after his first two years in big leagues, not like that record-setting deal. And like I said earlier, I think Chris has kind of moved on from this a little bit. He saw a role for himself to play in this case, but he's not on the executive negotiating committee. He had kind of relinquished his roles as the Cubs union rep. And, you know, ultimately, whether it's this, whether it's some of the stuff that Jason Stark has written about, the pace of play, on-field stuff that's not even part of the negotiating table, I think, if you're listening to this, it's not like a super (laughs) encouraging episode two weeks into the lockout. You know, when I was a young boy, talked to my friends about baseball, we would always sit around. The one thing we'd come back to is asset management, right? That was the one topic we all knew was going to be the most important about our baseball team. Not how good the guy threw the baseball or, or hit the ball. It's it's asset management. Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking some time. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Last-minute shopping time. We make it easy for you. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can save 33% on an annual subscription to The Athletic. Thanks for listening. We've got Baseball Barista next up. That's tomorrow with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Should be back next Wednesday with more Labor Talk. We're going to probably do a minor league-focused episode next week 
That'll likely be our last episode of 2021. Still TBD whether we're going to keep it going in 2022. The suspense, people. The suspense. I'll see you next week.